Do you love NASCAR and all things racing? Then you've come to the right place. I'm Derek Cope. And I'm Alicia Cope. We are your hosts. And here on Race Theory, we talk about all things asphalt racing. Our life on the road, maintaining good sponsor relationships, as well as balancing our work and family life as a team. Stick around and hopefully our tips and experiences will help you reach your own goals. Welcome back. This is Race Theory. This is episode 11, and I just got back from COTA, which is Circuit of the Americas down in Austin, Texas for the uh, Trans Am and the TA2 race with Nitro Motorsports. We had three young drivers down there, uh, Brent Cruz, Thomas Annunziata, and Greg Tolson. And we've worked with all of them, of course, all year, you know, all year long in various uh, areas. So it was uh, fun to have uh, Thomas back with us and uh, and Greg as well. And uh, really, we had pretty productive uh, efforts down there. If I, everybody uh, in practice, we were pretty fast. All the cars uh, showed some speed. Brent uh, was struggling from being sick. I uh, did not feel good at all and was struggling and really didn't really, you know, wasn't himself. And then we had some issues with his car, which uh, kind of put us behind the eight ball there. So really didn't really have, um, you know, a lot of track time there and uh, was struggling with that. But uh, yeah, you know, Thomas uh, really had pace and, uh, you know, set it up there. I think he was, uh, I want to say sixth fastest, maybe I think, or eighth fastest. Uh, and then Greg was 19th and a good solid effort for him. He runs the West Coast uh, series of the Trans Am TA2. And we had him at Road America and did a really nice job up there. But we had an engine failure and we had, I think, uh, something else in the steering broke. So didn't really get to really a chance to showcase his potential, but he did this weekend. So uh, we Yes, well. very nice to see that. Yeah. So uh, it, was, uh, it was a good time. Uh, all the guys worked really hard. Good qualifying efforts. And then the race, uh, you know, a lot was at stake. Obviously, the championship race, you know, with, uh, you know, Brent in the chase for the championship and uh, the rookie of the year. And uh, basically, you know, Todd, it was kind of down to, to Rafa Matos. It was his race to lose, really. He had like a 35-point lead, and, and Thomas Merrill was right behind him, and then Brent behind him, and Connor Mosack. And so it was a tight race for that, for that top three. And, you know, in the race itself, um, Thomas uh, stayed right with the lead pack the whole time. He was right there with the leaders the whole time. Uh, Brent had to start last, uh, so he really had to work his way up. And still not feeling well. I was taking on fluids all, all through the weekend. And he managed to get himself back up, and, and I think he finished, uh, oh, i got to remember now exactly where it was, but I think 10th. Yeah, it was 10th. So it was a solid effort for him. Absolutely, right? especially from starting at the very back and all of the, the struggles that he had. Yeah, so all in all, it wasn't bad, you know. And uh, I felt bad for Greg again because he, we, I was spotting for Greg, and he's doing a really nice job. He fired off really well. We took off and was passing cars, and then uh, evidently the alternator had failed at the beginning of the race because – eight laps in the motor just started dying. So at that juncture, you don't really have any recourse because these EFI little motors, uh, they won't run unless the batteries are charged up and we had no recourse, but to stop. So another failure there, which I felt bad about, but, but he did get the pull for the uh, West coast series. And so he was pretty tickled about that. 
Yes, he did. He was the fastest West Coast qualifier. And there was like 50 some cars, right? 52 cars there, I think, you know, so he did a great job, really showcased his potential, right? And, uh, and really, like I said, to win the poll, it was exciting. And we had a lot of pictures with that. And so, yeah, that was a, a highlight in a moment there for all of us at Nitro and for, for Greg and his, uh, his family. So that was uh, exciting. But, you know, the race itself played out and really come down late in the race. And, but Rafa, you know, he got himself in a problem and um, ended up finishing 49th. And, and in the largest, in a large field like that, you know, the, the point deficit can be detrimental and certainly he had a big lead. All he really had to do is ride around and he would have won the championship. But uh, uh, basically, uh, Thomas Merrill ends up winning the championship. And then, um, you know, Rafa is, is second and Brent Cruz ends up third in the points. And then Brent also won the hard charger of the year and the rookie of the year. So Brent yeah, Cruz, congratulations took a lot of, a lot of to him. Home. So yeah, he's, he's, you know, you've been there from the beginning, you saw the progression, right? And so to see him have the struggles he's had and then come back to, and, and have the success that he's had and mount a charge for the championship was, you know, at 14 years old is incredible. Absolutely. And certainly it was kind of anticlimactic to not win the championship. I know that's what they wanted. And that's certainly a place that um, they were in position to win. However, at the beginning of the year, he had parts failures. Um, he had a disqualification. He had, um, you know, uh, at um, Connecticut. Lime Rock. Lime Rock. Um, that was. Um, the rain, running in the rain, he got off the track and basically stoked up the front of the car. It was full of grass. grass. And yeah, that was <laughs> horrible conditions up there. So if it had not been for those mishaps, he certainly would have been way farther up in the point. So, but you know, lesson learned, things are going to happen. You're not always going to be on top, even though you can be the most talented and maybe even have one of the best cars. Things happen. No one is immune to parts failures, to weather, to being collected in a wreck, getting off into the mud. So um, I think he definitely was probably humbled, but he definitely deserves a lot of commendation for what he has accomplished this year from Sebring to now. It has been a pleasure to watch him. And um, I think that there is certainly so much potential and, and so many more things to come from him. I can't wait to see what he does next year. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, Nitro Motorsports has got a lot of things going on next year, and I think they've shown well this year that all their cars uh, are very productive, you know, and to have Thomas uh, do what he did, right? And yeah, that was outstanding. I mean, to run, he, he, he ran right there, I mean, right there, and, you know, I think pretty much fifth or sixth the whole time and just stayed there and just hounded these guys, didn't make any real mistakes, and then made a very daring move late in the race, three wide on the outside, and made it made it happen and and basically you know got to got to third and uh you know you had thomas merrill connor zillich and thomas uh in third you know so it was really i mean to run against that class of field with a kid that's only run to you know his second race and right? end up on the podium yeah and 17 years old right really in the infancy of his career uh really you know hats off i mean he didn't make a lot of mistakes, uh, took care of the car and, uh, brought it home and, uh, really did well for himself. So, yeah. And, and again, I want to give a shout out also to, uh, Darren mock, uh, you know, Darren's coming over to nitro next year and yes, he, very excited. he has worked really hard and has made some really good, um, you know, inroads and he, he finished, I think, uh, 
you know, I think he qualified like 17th or so. I mean, and was and finished really well. So again, another good effort there. Looking forward to working with him and working with their car and trying to, you know, adapt the things that we've done. And hopefully, uh, we'll be uh, doing a lot of testing uh, in the wintertime at at, uh, at Sebring with with Darren and working with him. So we got a nice rounded young group of kids coming to work with us, and it'll be a lot of fun next year. So uh, uh, moving on, I guess we'll go right to the TA division there at Trans Am and. Uh, interesting, you know, you know, kind of the class of the field has always been, you know, um, Chris Dyson, uh, pretty much all year long. And he's had a few, um, people kind of, you know, give him a run for his money. And, and that's been Boris and, uh, Matt Brabham and of course, Kaz Grala in that, uh, uh, Weaver car, but, uh, it was Boris had the pole and, uh, you know, got out front and, but, you know, was being stalked by Brabham and, uh, and Dyson and, and finally, it looked like his tires kind of gave up. And I think he runs a four-speed, and I think that uh, the other guys are running a five-speed. So they just kind of took its toll, and they were able to kind of like, you know, run him down and ended up, you know, uh, having a big fight between Chris Dyson and Matt Brabham. And uh, I thought, you know, uh, Brabham was going to do it, but Dyson finally just uh, methodically got by him there and then went on to win uh, the championship and uh, win the race as well. But uh that's a dominant group over there. They got really, you know, really good equipment and have done a nice job all year long. And so that uh, kind of ended the year for uh, for the TA program. So interesting uh, year, our first real year in Trans Am. So I think I'm looking forward to seeing what, you know, is in our future uh, as far as the progression of the Trans Am. We enjoy being there. Uh, it's a fun series and it's growing, obviously. It's evident by the yes, fields. Yes, it definitely is growing. I mean, 50-some cars there. You know, obviously, this is a combined West Coast show and, you know, the National Series, right? So it really is a lot of the cars there. But we've been seeing full, over 40 car fields pretty much for every event we've gone to, which really speaks volumes about, you know, where the series is at, uh, where it's going, and the interest level. So I, I see good things uh, in the future for that series. And the caliber of young drivers that are coming through that thing now is, you know, is phenomenal. So, uh, I think a lot of renewed interest is in the Trans Am series. And I think rightfully so it's a great series to go to great venues and really demands a respect at a high level for racing cars. Absolutely. So, uh, interesting. So, but I guess we've got the championships, continue with the championships and, you know, you go back to the truck series and, uh, yeah, I think NASCAR. Yeah, NASCAR. I, I really paid a lot of attention. You know, I've I've enjoyed, you know, NASCAR for so many years. And the the interesting to watch that truck series, uh, because you know, it's been the the guy that I really felt like, you know, has been on the cusp of really hitting it big has been that Zane Smith, you know, with front row motorsports. They've had a really good truck, you know, he's been finished second the last two years for the championship and really has won races, really felt like was the car to the truck to beat this year. But it seemed like they kind of went through a little bit of a lull and, you know, some other folk kind of took the limelight and then all of a sudden right towards the end again, they kind of hit their stride. And I really felt like that it was going to be, you know, tough for, you know, uh, Ben Rhodes to, to, to win the championship again, you know, and certainly that's the way it played out. He gave a valiant effort, uh, but just didn't quite come up with enough. And uh, Zane Smith won the championship, did a nice job in a, you know, a big battle, a 10 lap uh, run at the end and he hangs on and, and does a nice job. So kudos to him. Uh, it's nice to see him win his first championship, you know, after two runners up. So good, a good effort there. I uh, head on to the uh, Xfinity series, which obviously a lot of talk, uh, you know, was going on after the Martinsville debacle there with uh, the, the wreck 
at the end, you know, with Brandon Jones uh, being taken out by Ty Gibbs. And, you know, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Ty really did a, a you know, you know, a, kind of a, a difficult thing to take, you know, and, and when you're Brandon Jones, you know, a teammate at that time who is leaving, by the way, but, you know, takes him out and doesn't, uh, and goes on to win the race. But overall, I think over a lot of scrutiny, uh, came, you know, he came to Phoenix, did a nice, uh, a nice rebound. I think that, uh, they went through the thing and tried to really figure out, you know, you know, the, the do's and the don'ts and, you know, he stood up and made a lot of apologies and come out there. And, and honestly, if you really watch that car that he had at Martinsville, the car was the fastest car at the racetrack. And the same thing transpired again when he went to Phoenix, he, his car was the fastest car. Uh, guys mounted efforts. I mean, gallant efforts, uh, by Gregson and, and Al Geyer and, uh, really good racing. That yes. was a very entertaining race to watch. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they just, they went back and forth. I mean, just slide jobs, you know, I mean, just, you know, go where they weren't. Uh, and of course, Phoenix is one of those racetracks where it's very conducive for that kind of racing. You know, you can really drive off the racetrack to the flat spot where it's asphalt. You can run the extreme apron in, in, uh, turn two. And uh, so it really gives drivers a lot of options, which makes for great racing. And it was true to, to, to hold there again. So, uh, you know, Algar did a lot about everything he could do. Uh, Josh Berry didn't really seem to really have anything for the other three. Uh, just never really could mount a charge, got in the wall late. Uh, but I'm he had sure. some misfortune throughout the race. Yeah. Just for, I'm, I'm sure disappointed, but, uh, none, you know, nonetheless, uh, talented kid. Uh, has done a lot with uh, his. Well, he's not a kid, baby. Well, I know he's the old. That's right, he is the old guy. I don't want to say that. If he's a veteran of the group. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but he comes from just the late model divisions, right? And has opportunity and and has taken the reins and uh, made the most of it. So good, good for him, right? And I think next year uh, it'll be a, a good year for him as well. And of course, we want to um, share our deepest condolences and prayers for the Gibbs family at the untimely passing of Coy, and um, that was. Wow, after you um, experience the happiest, most jubilant time for your family, and then that evening to pass, uh, it's, it's just surreal, and uh, my heart just breaks for that family. Yes. Uh, obviously, we just alluded to the fact that he did win the championship. Uh, so, you know, yeah, tied to go win the championship the way he did, uh, you know, really with the fastest race car, deserved to win the race. Uh you know, it was a great race, a lot of good, you know, good efforts of, you know, battling to try to, to derail him, but obviously he was able to, to pull it off, but yeah, to, to have the highest of highs and then, uh, the, the lowest of lows, that's going to be a difficult time for the family. So, uh, yeah, they've gone through a lot and, uh, you know, yeah. so, uh, it's, uh, you know, time will, will, will heal and people will go on, but that's just the unfortunate thing, but he was only 49, which, uh, it's so sad. tragic. Yeah, it really is. Uh, and had a lot of life to live. And There's no details yet as to what yeah. happened, but just that he died in his sleep. And so I'm sure there'll be much more news to come, but definitely wanted to, to bring that up. Yeah. Both boys, I think have died at 49. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a sad time, but, uh, you know, moving on, uh, you know, again, the championship in the Xfinity series, uh, you know, great effort for uh, Joe Gibbs racing. Um, Absolutely. They but, have so uh, much to be proud of. Yeah, they're they're a talented team, you know, and uh, obviously their cars work really well and uh, you know, they uh and tied. I mean, really you look at what he's done 
uh, he really is a true talent and you've seen it. I mean, he can drive a race car, uh, just a little bit to learn in some other areas, but obviously that, uh, that will come. He's uh, extremely young. So, yes, well, this will be a big thing for him to overcome the death of his dad. So I hope that he can, I hope that he can spend the off season reflecting and, and sharing the memories and then come back. Yes. Uh, onto the cup series, obviously the, the end of the year, the championship run and, you know, you had Logano and Chastain, Bell and Elliott in the mix. And, you know, it uh, it ended up being a, kind of a, a boring race, uh, I think, for the first, you know, first stage, you know, and then into the second stage, people just long runs, uh, just trying to save fuel. Uh, ultimately, it would come down to what they always talk about and, and felt like it would be, would be pit stops, obviously. I mean, and Phoenix being a very difficult place to, to pit, you know, and that down the the backstretch there, and then turns around into turn, uh, you know, three. So difficult place to get on and off pit road as well. I mean, so there's so many variables that you lose so much time on pit stops, and it you know it can be compounded when you get in your stall and then trying to get out of your stall. So, and uh, that would prove to be pivotal uh, for uh, some groups. Uh, but you know, the guy that again, it, it kind of seemed like the championships had the guys that had the fastest cars and Logano seemed to have the fastest car. Penske found some things when they tested at, uh, Homestead, they felt like that the Penske cars were down there to test and they found something they felt like they did. It didn't really show up so much at Homestead as they thought it would, but you could just see and sense that they had found something in their cars, especially like Blaney. They'd been struggling for a bit. And all of a sudden they were in a position to showcase that. So, uh, as it worked out, uh, those are the guys that uh, were running up front. And uh, interesting enough, you know, Bell had pulled up some miracle things happen and get him in the, you know, keep him in the mix, right? Just didn't quite have the car. It was still in the mix, but didn't really quite have the car. And then ultimately had some very poor pit stops. And those are really what I think was his demise and really put him in a position not to not have the opportunity to run for the championship. Um, you know, and Elliot, you know, it's kind of a, kind of a lackluster day he was there but just not really you well know. he was taken out by chastain well yeah i mean that <laughs> basically was his, that was his ultimate ultimate derailment uh with you know but honestly in my opinion you know they've all had a chance to uh to you know not have chastain in the mix i mean after all the things that were done and said back at darlington and all the you know the problems the aggressive driving and all the things they've all you know you know, pretty much said, you know, that they were going to retaliate, there'd be retribution and all these, but they never have never done it. And he's continued to drive the way he has. And, you know, he, he toned it down a bit, but he kept himself in a position to get in the chase, point his way in, and ultimately was, you know, the fiercest competitor uh, and, and darn near wins the championship. And, but, you know, it, it's kind of ironic that, you know, they have had this guy do this to him and they haven't retaliated. And then he ultimately hits him and uh, wrecks him uh, in, in the wall again at Phoenix and ends Elliot's chance to do it. Right. And it's like, first of all, you had your chance. He did it do unto others before they do unto you. I guess that's what they say. So obviously <laughs> that's they, not really a Christian comment. No, but, yes. but <laughs> they didn't, but he did. And uh, you know, and uh, you paid for it. And so, you know, I'm sure that honestly, Chastain, he, he'll probably get raced a little bit differently next year. Yes, I think he was a little bit protected. He had this little championship bubble around him uh, these last couple of races. Nobody else wanted to to do a payback, but 
uh, regardless of how you feel about him. And definitely he had the brilliant move in Martinsville. But I remember when he was driving on the same team you did, you were driving um, in Nationwide and, you know, obviously at the beginning of his career. And he was in equipment that was not up to par and was battling people, not getting out of the way. He was literally blocking faster cars. And on the radio, a spotter comes in and says, hey, so-and-so wants you to stop racing him so hard, let him get by. You know, he's better than you let him get by. And he comes right back into that radio saying, I'm here to race. I'm not, I'm not here to let people pass me. I'm here to race. And that really struck me as odd at the time, because when you have poor equipment, the respectful thing to do is get out of the way when someone faster than you is coming up. Now, if you're, you know, the same, that's totally different. But I felt back then that kid is going to get his ass whipped at some point. And I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Well, like I say, you know, uh, it, you know, it's, it's been different, right? I think the approach this year, the, the tolerance of certain people, uh, you know, again, I don't really understand it because, um, the, some of the things that has happened, I really thought there would be retribution. I felt like there would be somebody who would take care of him and probably never even got to that degree of the chase, you know, of the, uh, uh, of the stages there. So, but they didn't, and, uh, he made the most of it. And I think you got to give track house a great deal of credit, credit because that team in all at, you know, in all the areas have executed especially pit stops yes they've been very very talented there. we know some of the the yes. guys on that pit stop team and uh they are um definitely the best um of class this year yeah and we used we used their pitting uh pit crew guys you know uh and when we were doing the cup thing there was starcom so great group of people very a great i mean that great it was Ganassi then, but same, you know, core group guys, but, uh, you know, they've done a nice job. Justin has, uh, you know, has mounted the groups together. They have, uh, stuck together and made some great uh, strides and they believe, and, uh, they have, they have done it and they, you know, they ran really well, both with him and Suarez. So yes, a, a, a great effort. They have nothing to be, um, ashamed of, um, getting that far this year. Yeah. But you know, when it's all comes, you know, you know when it's all said and done, Logano certainly, was the fastest car made, uh, you know, he, he's won a championship before. I think he certainly knew what it was going to take. And, uh, he's a talented guy and, uh, you know, he really, you know, works hard at what he does. Uh, I think he can really drives, you know, he drives really uh, well and he really, you know, he made it happen again. So that's his second, his second championship, uh, you know, in a, in a short period of time. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of people who, who don't care for Logano. He gets a lot of ridicule from drivers and Hamlin calls him goofy and all kinds of things. And he gets made fun of, but he truly is very methodical. He's patient when need be, but he, he's also aggressive. Uh, he doesn't allow people to pass him, but he doesn't do moves that, uh, you know, are uncalled for. Truly. I, I have nothing but praise for Logano and I've never had a reason, especially when you were racing in the cup series and, you know, in poorer equipment. Um, he was one of the drivers that was always respectful. And, um, so I was happy to, to see him win. A lot of people say, well, he's won the championship before he shouldn't have won it again. Well, that's not true. That's a backwards way to look at it. If you deserve to win a championship again, then you deserve to be there. And if you've done all the right things, you've, 
you have the best team, you have the best equipment, and you have obviously put yourself in a position to be there. And then he really did dominate that race. So no one can take that away from him. Yeah, they got a really good group over there. I mean, they work hard, uh, the very talented group. Uh, and, uh, you know, Paul Wolf and all those guys are just a great organization. You know, Penske as a whole, just you just know, the, you know, from the top to the bottom there, they are a class act. I mean, Roger does nothing, you know, but present something in a class fashion and uh, they work hard and they're always going to be a factor. And I think when push comes to shove, you know, the cream rises to the top, you know, and when this car has been, you know, a struggle all year for everyone, you know, they found a way to, to come and make it more, more proficient at the end. Right. And that's uh, timing's everything. And, uh, you know, they, they must've been working on a lot of things and found some things that uh, made a difference. And this car, it takes small things. Uh, they only have small areas to work on, so they must have been really working hard. So, um, yeah, congratulations to Roger and uh, Penske Racing for their win and in, uh, in the championship. And, you know, a great, uh, great end of the 2022 season. And I'm sure that they're already back at the shop working today and getting ready for, uh, for Daytona. They have a lot of work to do. There's a lot of changes that we spoke about earlier in some of the episodes about uh, – the changes coming to the next gen car. So all the cars are going to have to be stripped and sent back and uh, the updates done, you know, trying to try to fix some of the areas that maybe, you know, have been hurting these drivers. So yeah, a lot going on and um, I'll be ready to get back to it uh, here in a short period of time. Yeah. Hopefully they'll address the uh, fires, uh, which we had another one of the buildup of rubber under the car, no place for that heat to escape and literally engulfed Keselowski's car. So that's been um, an issue all year long. So certainly they'll be addressing that. Yeah. And it seems to be, like I said, the Fords uh, predominantly the ones that are having the major issues like that. So Again, I think you know they'll they'll look at everything and try to come up with some ideas on maybe some things that they can do to alleviate that. But it's a work in progress. Uh, it's going to continue to to go that direction, and uh, hopefully they'll get on top of it. And uh, the race will still be as good as it has been. So I think a good year in racing. So got to hand it off to them. Uh, the car has uh, had its problems certainly, but uh, maybe they're moving in the right direction. So with that. Uh, Let's uh, kind of go back into me a little storytelling, kind of, you know, pick up where we left off, kind of where, uh, you know, right in the... Uh, yeah, we got to get up to where you and I meet, so let's get going here. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> push, push, push then. Jeez. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, we really were into there where it was really kind of the start and park uh, phase of things. But, you know, we just kept pushing along and, you know, I kept trying to find a way to to get to where I could run my own teams and, and still you know, get to a level where I was racing again, maybe, you know, if I couldn't, depending on sponsorship, you know, couldn't afford to have what I needed, you know, at least get back to where we could race. And that's where we ended up going. We just kept going, uh, started putting, you know, a starting park team together of mine. I was driving for Jay Robinson at the time doing, doing racing. I was actually racing his car. I got to know Jay I was trying to help him grow his business. His business model was a little different. Uh, you know, he come from the grocery business, you know, like, you know, secondary, um, product products you know close dated products things like that so a good businessman and uh i helped him try to put this team you know get this team going because he really needed a driver that could qualify for the races and because the equipment was not very good i didn't have wouldn't put the money into you know to having really quality engines or quality cars so it was buying used parts and we were making the best out of it and then i would try to go get the car in a race then race as hard as we could but bring it back in one piece because i only had one car to start with you know and then obviously it escalated but that was kind of the business model and 
tried to help him grow his business. And, you know, uh, at the time, uh, it was going along, you know, relatively well, putting some small sponsorships together. And, and I was able to drive the cars and race, not starting them parking. And then it would migrate later when, you know, drivers were starting to come in with money to drive, then I would get relegated to doing more of a start and park deal, which I didn't really want to do. Um, but that's kind of what it worked out. And, uh, you know, he was trying to grow his business. People were paying and I wasn't, didn't have any sponsorship to bring. So that's how it kind of migrated back to that. And then I did my own start and park thing. And I, I started it with Rick Markle and Dale Markle and Dale who has recently passed, uh, was very helpful. He built all the motors and we were running a Dodge back then. And so, you know, we did the best we could. And then we got to the point where we could actually race that car. So we got out of that starting park and got to the point where we were able to start racing it on a, on a full-time basis and, you know, continue to just grow our business from there. And we're, you know, I was still doing other things outside of racing to try to, so I could put some drivers in that car, you know, here and there and try to fund it and then race some, race it some myself. You were also helping your nieces at the time, putting a great deal of money and effort into that as well. Yeah. And we, we had, you know, my nieces uh, had come to, to live with me and, and try to work their way into into motorsports and you know uh we got arca cars and uh, went to kentucky and had a good effort there and you know got some notoriety and uh you know so got them in a position where they could kind of go on their own and uh they you know tried to they ran some arca races and they got into the xfinity series and then we also ran the two trucks at uh, martinsville for them so you know the twins got to run in the race uh, there and that kind of got them to hollywood and some other things and they got on their way and, uh, that was my job and, you know, got them, you know, to a point where they could, uh, showcase what they could do. And they ran some Xfinity races and that's about as far as they got and, you know, got married and, um, run businesses. So, but beyond that, you know, I went into, you know, uh, running some more Xfinity stuff and, uh, really just had a, we, we had a, a good thing going there, but it was just difficult because we didn't really have the funding, didn't have the money. I took on some partners and the partners, you know, we just really didn't put the money into, you know, buying the right things and then having enough money to really go out and, and run with quality equipment. And that, unfortunately, just, you know, it's just difficult and you do the best you can and you're, you know, you're getting up there in age, you know. So, again, you know, there's nobody going to come hire you to drive for a car, you know, at that at those ages. So you really Well, and talk to us about how that's actually kind of newer to the sport. I mean, in terms of, you know, it's been like the last 20 years, but back in the days of Bobby Allison and Earnhardt Sr. and and those drivers, really, you could drive well into your 50s. And I mean, look at how long Richard Petty drove and, and Daryl Waltrip. So what changed from being um, completely proficient and competitive in your late 40s and 50s to being completely washed up? I think, in my opinion, back then, you know, most guys, you know, kind of started late too. I mean, I think, I think Harry Gant was, you know, relatively old when he, when he first started a cup series, basically had made a living, you know, running, you know, the late model sportsman stuff, you know, the, the, the Bush series and things like that. Right. And that's where they were making, you know, their living uh, besides probably doing something else. But, and you just, you know, you get up there in age, but you have the experience. And back then, there was not the engineering capabilities, you know, of the race teams. They were very more grassroots. They were very more about what they'd grown up doing and emulated from their father and put into the race cars. And it was really about the driver 
and the experience, you know, and what they brought to the table there. And so you, you know, and you, you raced longer because you, you made less money and you were making a living. So you continued to put food on the table. You pretty much had to continue, continue on. And that's all you knew. And that's all you really cared about. And I think that's the difference. I think the mentality of the race car driver back then was more passionate. You know, I was more about what you were brought up on. It's what you knew, you know, you stuck to what you knew and you did it and you made, and you made a living doing it. And you rode that as long as you could until there had to be something else or there was nothing left for you. Or, or a life changing accident ends your career. Correct. You know, and same thing. We've had guys that had problems and things happened that really derailed them, you know, and, uh, you know, Rick Mast had some, I think he got, you know, some, the ventilation in the car and he had got some, you know, you know, some things there that, you know, had problems with and, you know, you know, everybody just went through something and, you know, it would kind of just take you out of the mix. And then, you know, enter today's drivers, they start, I mean, like you say, all these kids we see coming in, right, they start in go-karts and they've been on simulators and that's all they're doing. So really their careers are about the same length. They're just starting at like four and five years old. That's correct. (laughs) Instead of in their twenties and thirties. If you look at, if you look at the, uh, the magnitude of, you know, of, of how much money they're making now, right? They don't have to stay in it as long, nor do they want to. They have children, they've made a large sum of money, and maybe just don't have the will or the passion, you know, to continue down. And there's a lot more involved, right? I mean, look at this day and age, right? You've got social media, you have, you know, all the things that's going on, you know, uh, the surrounding things, the difficulties managing and navigating through the NASCAR stuff that, so it's, more to handle uh, from that aspect, you know, and, and driving the race cars really comes down to the race teams now because it really is engineering based. It's all, you know, all the things that enter into the equation there, right, that make the biggest difference on whether you're good or you're bad. So the race teams now make that deal more so. And I don't think you can make up for anything anymore. So, and th- so it just gives you less opportunities. So sometimes you fall out of favor quicker if you can't make something happen or get with the wrong teams. So again, the whole dynamics changed, um, but it's just, yeah, the kids are starting earlier in contrast where, I mean, I never touched a race car until I was 21, whereas these kids are now, I mean, they're in championships at 19 and 17 or whatever. I mean, they're, they're just doing things quicker because they've been at, been at it, you know, longer. Well, and I look too at the, the generation differences in having children, just from our own daughter's standpoint, now kids are not having children um, married couples or, you know, or, or even living together for a long period of time, they don't have kids until they're in their 30s, sometimes even 40s. And whereas our generation and, and your generation, they had kids relatively young. And I think there is a stigma now to not spending time with your family, that if the job is constantly taking you away from these milestone events like birthdays and soccer games and and, uh, you know, dance recitals, then you have the stigma that you are this bad parent. Whereas when you were raised, your dad did not attend those things and not because he was, did not love you any less or did not want to be as involved, but dads did not take as active a role back then as they do now. And it has become the norm for dads to really be involved in activities that in generations past, they weren't at all. 
Would you agree? I think so. I think you look at like look at the, just NASCAR specifically, like we're talking about. They're all, these kids are all young. They're all married, and they all have kids, and they're giving kids. So, but they're doing it young, and just like I guess you know proof of it. You know, looking at like this weekend, we were at, at Coda, right? And here you are. It's it's Hudson's Hudson's birthday. And Johanna, she has a little birthday party right there with, uh, you know, cupcakes with, you know, him and everybody singing to him. And so she's putting in the effort. Yes, happy birthday, Hetty. Yeah, I mean, she's putting in the effort to make sure that he gets something. He's, you know, every racetrack for the last two years has been, or uh, he's had his birthday at the racetrack, right? So you got to take time for him and, and, and do those things. And Johanna, like you say, very much the leader in making that happen, right? So back then, like I said, when I was, yeah, dad, I mean, he was, mom was doing it. Dad was, you know, working. And uh, so. And that was fine. There was no stigma put on dads that had careers late into their 50s and 60s and were away from their kids for long periods of time. When they came back into the household, you know, maybe one day a week, the kids did gravitate to dad, I'm sure. But now, um, you know, it, it's almost expected that dads partake in more of the child rearing, and and rightfully so. I'm not saying that they shouldn't, but it's just very different. You see the kids. I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, peripheral activities and things are happening, and not all of them are going to be racing related. But if you look at a lot of the drivers, a lot of their kids are running little, you know, go-karts or, or midgets or things, you know, micros. So they are actively doing other things and, you know, spending some of the money on things for them to, to, to do that and showcase their potential. And that's what they do as a family as well. Right. So to each his own, everybody has their own things and, and figures out what's best for them and what they can afford to do or really want to do. Right. So everybody's focus is different, but yeah, I think that everything changes and that's just the way the world is. The world evolves and it's never going to stay this, you know, stay the same. Right. So you're always going to have constant change and, uh, that's what I feel like has been the biggest thing when it comes to, you know, uh, the drivers and their ages and when you fall out of favor. Right. And uh, but, you know, again, it's, you know, getting back to where we were talking about and we really was more about, you know, then, you know, trying to get myself in a position where I could, you know, control my own destiny again and get to race cars for, you know, as long as I wanted to or at least to the point where I got to do what I love to do. And for me, that's where it got to at that stage really was about self-gratification, you know, fighting my own battles, right? And just, you know, when I say fighting your own battles, basically it is, the, you know, when you cut a lap qualifying or you race hard, you don't have all new tires and you finish, you know, when you put good laps together, you know, when you put good qualifying laps together and, you know, you had a solid day and those are what you take home. And it's a lot easier to swallow being 25th when you were able to put on some tires because you got, you know, sponsorship, right. And you, and you really drove hard and you know, uh, you know what you have sitting, you're, you're sitting in. So that's, you know, where I was at and that's what we were going through. And, uh, even before, you know, you actually came into my life, you know, I think that's really what we were, we were striving for. Right. And I was still, you know, kind of back and forth. I would, I would have some of my own stuff going and then I, you know, would, end up driving some races for Jay. And, um, it just seemed like we just kind of go, it would vacillate, you know, I would do some stuff there. Then he'd have drivers coming in and doing something. And I'd do a little something else. And then I'd come back in and he'd ask me to drive again and I would run some more races for him. And, but you were constantly trying to get back into the cup series. You had purchased a cup car and you had kept that there. And, 
anytime you had a race close to home, such as Martinsville, and I don't know how many times you would attempt to qualify Martinsville and it would rain you out. It was so devastating. But that was always your desire, wasn't it, to get back up to Cup? It was because I, I had I'd started in a Cup car, basically. I never really went through all the other progressions that other drivers have done. I just started in heavy cars, went right to Cup, and that's what my go- my end goal was. And when you don't have that to do and you're running this series, Bush series, you're starting parking and you go through all those things, you ultimately want to get back to driving a cup car. And so, you know, I, you know, I had some partners, Gary Keller being one, and we, you know, we tried purchasing some cars. We actually purchased some cars from Ganassi. That was kind of our inroad into getting updated cars at a reasonable price where we could go out and have a shot to make some races. And we would go and, you know, I put quality crew chiefs there to try to go help me go to the deal. And like I could say, went to Martinsville so many times and it was so close to home. It was a good place where I could go cost effectively, try to go run a race. And you could, you know, you could go um, and run relatively competitively, right? You know, we had decent motor, we had, you know, a decent car and it just rained. And we, you know, we didn't have any points. So, you know, we basically would go home, right? So we didn't even got a chance. Sometimes we didn't get a chance to even practice. So it was so, so, you know, dejecting, right? And there's time you got to practice and you felt like you had a real shot to make the race and then it rains out qualifying, you know, you go qualify. So, you know, you just spend a lot of money doing those things and trying to do what you love. And ultimately, you know, it just doesn't really work out, you know. What do you say to those cynics at that period of time that would say, why, why are you doing this? I don't know. I, you know, I don't really had to say anything. I never really even, you know paid much attention to it. Other people pay attention to those things more so than myself. I really just, I've listened to rhetoric my whole life. I've had people say, you know, you'll never mount to anything and you win Daytona and you do all these other things. You always, my whole thing was, is like, I don't want to have to say anything. I just want to go out and do it. And when they have to go home and I made the race and whatever happens. So it was the risk. It was worth the risk to you. It was. And I think I really, I'd never had children of my own. You know, for the longest period of time, I wasn't married and I just got to race. That's really all I cared about. And that's all I had to think about really was just what do I do to put myself in a position to go back out, get back in a car and do what I love to do. When you strap that helmet on, you got your earphones in and you hear your heart beating. There's just something uh, emotionally attaching to that thing. You just really get in into yourself. You get into your own mind, your own body. And it's like, all of a sudden you just go to some place you've never, you don't often go and you get to drive a race car and you feel this thing with all this power and, and you're just out there just driving this thing. And just, yeah, I mean, it's exciting. There's just, how do you fill that void after you've done something of that magnitude for that long period of time and had the kind of success that you've had, you thrive on that. And Really, you don't, you can't replace that. It's hard to replace that. I don't know how you do it. And I still don't know today how I do that. So that's my biggest struggles really is you have all these other things, these outside influences or, 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 you know, of things, you know, you got your kids and you got all the stuff you're doing and you're teaching kids and you, and you enjoy that, but you still don't get, you didn't get enough. Yes, you, you didn't just, get enough. You didn't get well, enough. You, you didn't get your just due when you were at the pinnacle of your talent. You really didn't. Or you felt that way. I think it comes down to you. And 
I've always been that way. I really didn't care about what other people thought. It's really about what I thought. And it's about at that point, I felt like that, yes, I really didn't get a chance to, when I was winning, when I was up there running up front, really in a position to do that, I didn't get the right opportunities. I never got the big ride. I never got the big opportunity to sit into the highest level cars with the best people and the best money and see really, you know, could I have won a championship? Could I have, you know, won the string of races where I put, you know, you know, 20, 30 races together, never really had given that opportunity. So you, you still look at what can you do for yourself? And it's more about self-gratification. It's more about proving to yourself, you know, when you go out and you know, when you do something good and, you know, you try to put the best stuff you can together, go out and pull off something, you know, and, and later on in our stories, we'll talk about some things when we had some opportunities and good things happen. And, you know, those are the things that you, you push towards. And I think that's what my whole focus was, and it was on. Well, and I want to make sure that our listeners understand, too, because Derek can come off um, a little bit cocky and arrogant there, these last statements, um, which are entirely true. But I also want to season this a little bit with the fact that he is incredibly humble. And when I first met him, he would relish coming in 28th or 32nd or 22nd. And I would say, not knowing um, exactly all of the things that go into running a race and everything that it takes and, and you know, equipment being, you know, more paramount even than who's sitting in it at that time. And I would ask him, how, how is it that you are really delighted with, you know, where you finished up, you know, not trying to, you know, be Debbie Downer. And he would say, I ran a good lap. Or I felt that I pushed the car to the absolute maximum and I got every ounce out of her. And on those races where maybe the finish was just as good, but he would be very disappointed in the effort. And maybe it was even, a, you know, a top 20. And I'd say, why, why are you down in the dumps? This was an awesome finish for you and the equipment that you're in. And he would say, I didn't run a good race. You know, I, I uh, you know, don't have anything to be proud of on that one. So I really think it is very pivotal to come from a place that you have at the ultimate of success, then be humbled. You're on the backside of the mountain, as you say, but still be able to get up every day, do what you love, and really find joy when you do it well regardless of what other people say or think, and regardless of how it looks on paper, you know when you've done well. And that truly is, you know, the rewardment of life. That's fighting your own battles. And I think for me, it really is about the true joy uh, of driving a race car. And it's hard to, I guess, put that in perspective for people who've never done it, right? But it touches some places that, you know, you never know you had. And um, once you do it, it's tough not to. So we'll stop there. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. All right, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. Did this episode give you some value? If so, please follow us on Facebook at Derek Cope and Instagram at Derek Cope 00 and leave a comment or question and use hashtag race theory. We can't wait to hear from you. See you on the next episode.